I'm Bee Heller, and this is The Pioneers, a podcast series interviewing business founders and leaders who are pioneering new management practices and ways of working to create inspiring organisational cultures. Today, I'm interviewing Roland Harwood, co-founder of 100% Open and recent founder of We Are Liminal. Roland has achieved the enviable feat of being able to practice what he preaches. If I've learned nothing else, the, the kind of habits that you set up in the early days of a venture just kind of amplify um, exponentially as time goes by. The Pioneers is a podcast for business founders and people leaders who are striving to make their own workplaces deliver for their people and who want their culture to be a source of strength that drives the future growth of their company. We interview business founders and leaders who we think we can all learn something from. We get past the conceptual ideas to bring you the day-to-day habits and practices these businesses use to create and sustain their cultures. We'll bring you one pioneer each episode, so tune in for 30 minutes of wisdom and practical ideas for you to test in your own organisation each week. Okay, I'm Roland Harwood. I'm, amongst other things, co-founder of a company called 100% Open, uh, which we'll talk about. I'm also founder of a new venture called Liminal, which I'm very excited about. Uh, And I'm a dad, and I'm a piano player, and I'm several other things as well. Did you have a particular purpose in mind when you set up 100% Open? So we're very mission-driven. It was about exploring and kind of scaling open innovation as a thing, which was still a very kind of conceptual idea at the time. Um, But at its highest level, it was to make uh, business and organisations more open, more collaborative, more, um, more successful through accessing great ideas, talent, technology, anywhere in the world through a range of projects and competitions and communities. And for how long was it just the two of you who were kind of pursuing that mission? Yeah, we had a number of incarnations, I guess. So the first kind of year, 18 months, it was kind of the two of us doing everything, no office, travelling around, hustling. The hustling never stopped, but um, but after, um, yeah, in hindsight, we kind of got lucky. We, we won some work. We started you know developing our profile and reputation um, quite quickly we started bringing in some kind of freelance kind of people to help us to get stuff done um, and then within 18 months we had the two of us um, uh, and uh, a small army I say army 10, 10 or 15 people that we bring in to, to support us deliver projects still in a very kind of lean and agile way as you started mm-hmm. uh, the business and as you recognised that you were starting to grow mm-hmm. and bring in new partners, if not new employees at mm-hmm. that point in time, did you have any deliberate thoughts about the sort of culture that you wanted to create within your business? Yeah, so I've been thinking about that in preparation for this and I'd love to say, yes, it was highly deliberative. In reality, it was a bit more kind of chaotic and ad hoc, but we knew we wanted uh, a diverse and eclectic bunch of people that um, uh, could bring a range of kind of skills and interests to the table because innovation at its best comes when you get diverse perspectives represented. And um, so we were, we collected people along the way who had, um, all of whom had a sort of serious side hustle is how I would describe it. So they would be really into music or film or um, whatever it might be, you know, they'd have a kind of significant kind of parallel career above and beyond what it was they were paid for, whether it was kind of design or project management or 
um, analysis or you know the kind of core functions that we were recruiting for. And was that deliberate? Um, did you did you deliberately look for people who had those serious side hustles, as you call it, or um, just those were the people that you seemed to be attracted to in terms of hiring them? Or, I think or? it was more the latter. I mean, we know. I don't think we ever wrote down that until much later that this is the sort of profile of the sort of type of person that we want to attract and work with, but. Um, more by trial and error, we sort of learnt who, who we felt fit our, our culture and our organisation and, and what we want to achieve. What were the key signs that things were or weren't working with a new person? It's easier to spot what's not working than what is working sometimes. So what wasn't working was um, generosity. Seems like a strange word to say, but perhaps. But um, uh, people who were generous with their time and their ideas and um, you know wanted to contribute to something bigger than their own uh, their own ego or their own success or their own career or their own development so um, so looking for people who were who were generous and and sort of deeply curious so that's why the side hustle thing was I think important because it was um, just the act of getting so thinking of somebody who worked with us in the early days Chloe she she was putting on a music night once a month called Platform 33 where she'd bring in different bands and there's a huge amount of kind of logistics and curation and other stuff required to pull something like that off and I think you learn so much from doing something like that that is incredibly useful and valuable and so uh, and there's lots of other examples as well but you know that um, we learned more from people that that had the, the get up and go to do stuff like that I guess there's something around ego and humility which I can't quite articulate articulate but I think um, I personally was very drawn to kind of introverts and you know humble humble people mm. uh, who nevertheless achieved interesting stuff um, so quite allergic to um, yeah people who were too sharp at selling themselves that that was sometimes a red flag not always but uh, yeah 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 do you have a proudest moment in your time there? Yeah, I um, so having just left 100% open I've been doing a lot of reflecting on the last eight and a half years and I'm incredibly proud of all of it um, but yeah one moment stands out in particular um, so before I describe that perhaps so we, we uh, I think our uh, what we achieved exceeded my original expectations and we managed to grow sort of double digit growth for almost every single year that we're around and with that comes different logistical and cultural challenges along the way we had our biggest um, challenge was we won a big contract overseas um, South America which uh, we overextended ourselves too quickly and um, it was very very tough for the company and um, we nearly didn't survive it this was kind of three years in um, but we did survive it and we learned a huge amount from that and managed to apply those lessons um, what drove the decision to take the contract um, uh, it kind of landed in our lap and it was a, a big contract and an interesting contract and they really wanted to work with us and so it just it seemed um, foolish not to go for it but it was also four times bigger than anything we delivered previously and, and it was uh, in a country that was uh, it took at least 12 hours to get to um, with people who didn't really speak English and uh, completely different 
legal and financial kind of uh, framework and you know lots of things which perhaps in hindsight should have raised a few more red flags but anyway we took on this piece of work it was a really challenging project um, and without question our, our most difficult project but also um, we learnt the most from that as well in many ways. Can and you give a flavour of what the project was about? Yeah so it was running um, uh, it was running a global open innovation series of challenges for 12 of the biggest companies in, in Colombia, um, working for a government client there who wanted to raise Colombia's profile globally as a sort of heart of innovation in South America um, and connect Colombian companies with, with kind of global entrepreneurs and innovators. And we were designing, facilitating, running that project. And we by most of the metrics of success, we delivered that, but we, um, it was a really, really difficult project for a whole range of different reasons, and we lost a lot of money on it, and we, um, we just, uh, there was lots of misunderstandings along the way, cultural and, uh, and everything else, which just made it a lot more difficult than perhaps it could and should have um, been. But as is often the way you learn more from your failures than your successes, <coughs> and so it enabled us to put in place systems and processes, et cetera, that, that were beneficial, very beneficial further downstream. Plus we developed a software product as part of that project, which ne we never really made much use of in that project, but then we went on to make use of in future projects. So it was, um, there was lots of positives I take from that, but um, the biggest um, coming around to culture, which is I know, you know one of the things that you're particularly interested in, is we took a big financial hit on that project, which was uh, painful, very painful, but I think more importantly in some ways is we took a big psycho psychological hit as well. We sort of lost that kind of startup, we can do anything spirit um, because it had been such a kind of painful and difficult project. And I think for 18 months we were, weren't exactly treading water, but we were just, I think we'd lowered our aspiration and ambition just because we'd had this really difficult kind of experience. Um, but then, uh, yeah, getting almost 18 months later, we then won a, a big piece of work with UBS, Global Bank, to run a global startup competition, which in many ways was very similar in terms of what they wanted to the Columbia project. And we, we pitched for it and we won it uh, sort of against the odds, against some very big players. And, um, uh, and uh, we had to get it up and running extremely quickly and, and we had to run build communities and run kind of events all around the world within kind of six weeks of winning the contract so there's just a ton of stuff that had to get done very quickly and it was a very intense the whole project was about six months of um, from start to finish and it was a very intense six months of my life in particular and uh, and it was incredibly successful and we pulled it off and I think it was successful partly because of the, the painful kind of failure of the previous kind of project and I remember just kind of stepping off the plane coming back to London after the kind of final big showcase event which was in Zurich and just a big sigh of relief and it shed a few tears if I'm honest with you as well just because it, it culminating it was a kind of three-year kind of journey from that um, winning the Columbia project and that experience to the the lull in between to then come delivering that UBS project and so it was um, it was very satisfying gratifying and important moment for me personally and for the company as well. What have been some of the biggest people management challenges that, that you faced at 100% Open? Yes, I think it's getting the balance right between uh, centralising processes, systems, tools, 
ways of working with giving people and the team the freedom to do what they you know trust their instincts and do what they think is right uh, and so it's that centralizing versus kind of de- uh, um, versus decentralizing kind of forces and I think we got the balance wrong in Colombia in a way that we got it much better with UBS um, and that was amplified by the fact that we always had a sort of combination of in-house and external expertise and um, and I think we realized we had to keep tight control of the client relationship of project management of money management and a few kind of core things like the products technology etc but then keep tight control in-house in-house yeah, yeah. but then huge benefits from getting people with local expertise in different countries. We ended up working in 25 different countries, which was a whole different kind of cultural and logistical challenge, but really fascinating as well. And of course, we needed people that knew knew those cultures, knew those countries, and also had um, skills and ideas, etc., that we could learn from. So just finding the balance, which for us was, yeah, keeping design, project management, account management, and kind of financial management very sort of tightly controlled from, from London and from the kind of central core. Uh, but then outsourcing a lot of almost everything else to our network or building a network um, it, around the projects and people that we had in the team and um, trying to keep it organic and, and uh, creative and collaborative um, but sort of knowing um, uh, knowing when to kind of rein things in and kind of um, you know uh, uh, keep a close eye on something especially if it's not quite going according to plan so uh, I can't brilliantly articulate what the secret source there was but it was a it was a constant kind of tension between the two and I think in the early days of 100% open we had slightly sort of naive, naive idealistic sense that we'll be super open we'll be super collaborative all this great stuff will bubble up if we just attract great people um, that uh, in principle I still buy into as a concept but I think you do need quite strong facilitation at the core to make a creative kind of group of people kind of gel together and that's what we certainly got better at we never I don't think we've ever perfected it I would never say that but we certainly got better at as time went by I guess given given what you're selling as a business if you you needed to be able to make those sorts of collaborative partnerships work because it, it sort of is what you do uh, yeah, absolutely. And so, yeah, practicing what we preach. And um, I think people were buying us for our culture, though that was never what was written in the contract. What, you know, what was written in the contract was deliver five workshops or run a startup competition or whatever it might be. But actually, it became clear that, yes, we had to deliver those things. But people wanted either... Uh, explicitly through training and coaching or um, implicitly through just being around a slightly different way of working. They wanted to um, learn how to work in a more open and collaborative way. So, so yeah, it was important. It was essential, in fact, that we uh, um, uh, we were kind of conscious of that and we were you know, always trying to kind of cultivate and grow that culture. How different is it managing in-house, mm. your team who are directly employed versus partners who might be spread across the globe who are essentially still mm. delivering what you have sold, what yeah. you've promised the client, yeah. but they are subcontracted or they're, they're in, they're, it's a partnership relationship in some way. Yeah. What's the 
how do you manage those differences or did you deliberately manage people differently? I think to start with we didn't, we just assumed everyone was the same but actually I think we realised that was uh, that was not right, Pe- you know, um, people bring different things and uh, people that were attracted to being you know a full-time or part-time employee of the company um, uh, were completely essential to everything that we did but they were kind of motivated by and needed you know a different set of things and we needed to manage them in a, in a more pastoral way um, and also um, uh, um, keep a steady flow of interesting projects and opportunities you know to, to keep them interested and hungry and of course there's always a balance between you know um, the more fun projects and the less fun projects. I think uh, kind of the external kind of contributions. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really like this analogy, but someone we worked with sort of described it as the, the milk and the cream. So you'd bring in the external kind of a little bit of cream, a little bit of special sauce for um, to to sprinkle a little bit of magic dust on on the work that you're doing. Uh, you've got to be careful with that um, because of um, uh, that that magic dust can uh, sometimes be a kind of distraction from the, the day job or the kind of core business. So and it, again, I'm not entirely sure how I describe the difference, but I think, I think it worked because of the, the blend of the internal and external kind of expertise. I think people were motivated much more by kind of a, a long-term building something if they were part of the kind of core team whereas external people were more motivated by just doing something interesting or lucrative or fun or whatever it might be that's kind of motivating them in the moment and that was that was good and fine too but I think trying to understand that and be explicit about that just helped helped us to kind of you know harness the the, the most from the group. Yeah I think having spent a lot of time talking to rapidly growing businesses one of the things that's interesting is if you're growing quickly there's yeah. a confidence that comes with that yeah. and there's because because you're growing yeah. you're prepared to take more risks yeah. you're prepared to almost be open to new ideas yeah. uh, and to pursue those and if it if a small thing goes wrong it doesn't matter because overall you're still doing really well yeah. i think when the trend is the opposite direction yeah. we do tend to shut down yeah. and be less receptive to new ideas to lose confidence in mm. what it is that we're trying to achieve if you're in that really exposed mm. position where failure might be the end mm. um I, I wonder how you create an environment that allows for that openness that mm. vulnerability and people to yeah express what they're really feeling or mm. or what they really think you should do in that circumstance yeah i uh, you know, I, I don't think we ever fully cracked it, but I think you need to have a lot of trust for each other to be able to say, "Look, I, I hold my hands up. I made a big mistake. I made the wrong call. You know, I made plenty of wrong, wrong decisions on that project and elsewhere as well." And I think um, to be able to say that, you know, uh, without you know too much fear of the kind of consequences of that. Um, is something that requires you know, a very kind of supportive culture, and I think we did build that supportive culture. I mean, our company name, which you know, was we spent a lot of time coming up with it and thinking about it, 100% open. But um, I lost track of the number of times in a meeting where, and seldom the first meeting, but you know, as you get to know people, 
um, they'd say something along the lines of, well, to be 100% open with you, which is great brand reinforcement, but, um, you know, and then they'd share with you what's really going on or the fact that they didn't like their boss or they were really struggling with this particular project. Or, you know, they'd start to then reveal what's kind of going on beneath the surface to be more open. And, you know, that's, we were, that, that's what we were advocating, you know, being honest about um, what's going badly as, what's, as well as what's going well. I think this is something I've grappled with, but I still buy into the principle that, and it's true in our case, we learned more from that one big failure than we probably did from any of our, you know, more modest successes. And, um, and for that, I'm very grateful. Do you think that after that learning experience mm. of what you went through in, in, with the Columbia project, mm. you found, everybody found it easier to be almost more honest or more vulnerable about, uh, you know, admitting earlier or um, discussing the more challenging situations that you faced? I think by and large, um, uh, um, you know, it took some time, but by and large, I think we were able to kind of talk about that. There was a yeah, couple of key relationships for me um, where um, I think it's good just to talk, you know, talk about what's happened. But, you know, um, I can also totally relate to why, why you'd want to uh, not dwell on negative stuff or, or the past, um, especially if um, there's potentially kind of blame or, I don't know, um, you know, shame attached to that. So, um, so yeah, it was a, it was an emerging thing. And you can't, I mean, I think the important thing is yeah. creating a culture of psychological, psychological safety within the organisation. Mm. What any one individual chooses yeah. to sort of do or deal with those particular scenarios is, yeah. is almost impossible for you to... Yeah totally influence as an organisation but if you can create an environment that supports most people yeah. or anybody who wants to yeah. take advantage of the kind of environment the safe environment that you've mm. created to talk about those things then yeah. that's that enables the organisation as a whole to learn at least yeah do you think there's an opportunity at the moment in the present working world that we're in for startups, rapidly growing organisations to create a different kind of employee experience? Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so since I've left 100% Open a couple of months ago, I've just been having literally hundreds of kind of coffees and meetings with people. And I think, you know, we're all struggling with this kind of always on, uh, you know, smartphone 24-7, 365 kind of uh, expectation of responsiveness and connectivity, um, struggling with carving out time to think and breathe and whatever it is we, we need and connect on a, on a human level with our friends and family. Um, and I think a lot of work environments, whether it's in a large multinational corporate or even in a kind of small growing startup company, um, rightly or wrongly are quite kind of stifling of people's authentic, true experience themselves. And um, I've noticed by taking a leap into the unknown, which is essentially what I've done, having left a successful company, which has surprised quite a few people to build something new again, which is you know a risk, but uh, one that I am pretty confident will be the right call, but time will tell. Um, uh, but a lot of people seem to be, um, that's triggered a lot of conversations for me with people about 
um, a leap that they may want to take in their in their careers or their work or their personal lives in some cases. And um, so I think there's um, there's a there's a frustration, there's a need there for um, maybe a different way of working, which more combines um, people's uh, personal interests and desires with their kind of work kind of interests and desires. I think the the days of a kind of a hierarchical kind of command and control um, structure, um, uh, a more transactional way of business, I think still works in certain contexts and certain organizations and certain industries, but I think by and large is, is, uh, is outdated and I think um, uh, a much more uh, collaborative, equal, open um, kind of culture and way of working seems to be growing and to the fore, but I think what we're struggling with and part of what I'm grappling with with my new venture as well is what a, how do we do that effectively and productively and, and in a way that is kind of satisfying as well. And so um, it's a topic uh, that is uh, close to my heart um, uh, and uh, I do think there's a, it does feel like we're living in a moment right now where um, for all sorts of reasons, um, politically, socially, economically, that we're going through sort of transitions, and um, uh, and there's a we we're still reinventing our, our model of work for this kind of connected planet that we find ourselves on. If you were to reflect on your time at mm. 100% Open, what are the things you think you did mm. that contributed to some of those factors? These are the practices that are really making a difference. That are making this is a psychologically safe place to be, mm. that are contributing to our employees' well-being, their mental health, those sorts of creating that environment. I think we had our own little ceremonies within Huntington Open. We had something called Union, which is a quarterly uh, meetup for um, people in our network that became a, a drumbeat of the organisation. We had Monday morning check-ins with the whole team. Um, uh, and then we had a range of other things that we did um, more formally or informally that were sort of ceremonial in, in, uh, partly to you know, celebrate successes or just be together. I personally tried to make as much time as it was needed just to kind of listen and learn as much as I could um, to my colleagues and to what was going on and just you know, making time for that. I also tried to make as much time as I could to share as much of that as I could, as openly as I could. And that was challenging at times, especially when things weren't going well. But I think um, uh, I think others responded to that and uh, appreciated that by and large. I think we all tried to you know, be respectful of each other's time and each other's opinions, even if we didn't necessarily agree with them, and um, try to uh, yeah, just be present and give each other um, show each other respect and give each other attention. Do you think there was a particular management culture there? At one level it was it was very kind of flat and we were all equal because we were all smart capable people in our own different right. Uh, we did have a sort of light hierarchy which emerged over time just out of necessity more than anything else. You know we tried to be very democratic, very collaborative and um, we tried to be non-hierarchical but I think kind of hierarchy snuck in in different ways. Something I'm reflecting on now as I'm working on my new venture um, is um, how to how to do that even better next time. Would you have done anything different? Because we were 
very collaborative decision making was often quite slow because we're trying to build consensus there was lots of meetings and if we couldn't agree there'd be more meetings to discuss the previous meetings and that created frustration and inertia not least frustration for me but also for others we built a toolkit that everyone could use in their work and that was a huge piece of work but that was then very helpful after that to create a blueprint for what the organization did um, we did that for our uh, our kind of externally facing offer we didn't do that for our kind of culture and our behaviors in the same way and I think that would have been really helpful and that would have I think empowered people to um, to make decisions quickly without necessarily consulting everybody or to trust their instinct and just get on with stuff if they if they felt you know strong compulsion to do so um, if I've learned nothing else the, the kind of habits that you set up in the early days of a venture just kind of amplify um, exponentially as time goes by and I think small companies can become extensions of their founders yeah. you know the founders are always influential in mm. sort of what are the accepted cultural norms within that organization reflecting on what you've how you've described mm. the the management culture at 100% open it sounds like a high performing functional culture mm. because of almost the personalities of the founders being mm trying to be present, being reflective, perhaps slightly introverted, mm. being generous, giving time to people. Yeah. I think it's interesting whether you are consciously reflecting on those are the things that we actually want to try and instill in others mm. or not. And the more that you're conscious about what you're trying to instill in others, the more you can actually look to develop those behaviours. Yeah. Um, and it might not be that you want to create a culture that is just based on the personality type of the founder. Yeah. You might actually want some of that and other elements that you need to look for elsewhere and deliberately yeah. recruit for elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in hindsight one of the, I think 100% open became too much a mirror of David and my personalities and also our relationship. Um, and that was good in many ways but it also I think held the organization back in many ways and I'm trying very hard with my new venture I'm dialing down myself in all the literature and the website and everything to do with it in organizations there's this really interesting balance between creating a company mm. that's got a strong culture that people feel that they can belong to and they can mm. orientate in, but a healthy organization also creates the space for people to feel significant yeah. and to feel like they can bring the best of themselves and that they are special in some way within yeah. that group. And I think the more dominant the founder personality type is, yeah. the harder it is to create space for individuals to show their significance. Yeah. It'll be really interesting to watch how liminal develops. Yeah, I am also keen to see how that evolves. <laughs> So let's look to the future future now. Sure. And so how come you decided to move on to create something new? Well, yeah, two main reasons. One is I've just been doing this for an awfully long time, eight and a half years, and I was just hankering for, I think I enjoy the early kind of startup phase more than anything else. And the challenge with 100% Open now is, is, a, is an operational one of scaling. Um, and... I think I have something to offer to that, but it's just I personally find that less interesting and exciting than 
creating something new. I think the market has kind of moved on. I think there's a need for um, uh, so, you know, something new out there that, that connects, connects all these kind of disparate networks and, and organizations. And uh, so Liminal is um, playing into that space. Can you give us a sneak peek of what that value proposition might be for Liminal? Yeah, it's a, it's a work in progress, but I think it is a, first and foremost a network of interesting people and organisations. Secondly, it's a kind of platform, which means software and digital tools to allow networks of people and organisations to come together and actively share risk and reward with each other in terms of doing a project, probably some kind of innovation or transformation project. Um, and thirdly, it's a sort of uh, agency for change and positive good in the world, whatever that might might be. But as the name suggests, so liminal means to be on a boundary or threshold. Um, it is a uh, um, liminal, it literally occupies the space in between. So I think there's this kind of weird moment that we're living through post-Brexit, post-Trump, with the rise of things like artificial intelligence and machine learning and blockchain where we have um, uh, big questions economically, socially, politically. Um, we have different models emerging. Um, uh, we have a huge amount of power that sits with large multinational companies, um, who are, which is, and that power is largely un, unchecked and unaccountable, apart from, from their employees, ironically, I think is where, where that power really lies in the short term. Uh, and then we have a huge kind of flourishing of creativity from you know kind of startup world and, and and all of that. I think there is a huge opportunity, but also a gap that kind of sits in between large companies, governments, academia, startups, uh, and and all the kind of networks and organisations that sit in between that. I, I think I have something to offer and something to give that sits in between that that provides um, some of the. Some of the connectivity, some of the tools, some of the, um, some of the hopefully vision and uh, drive to, to stitch that together, so that the, the whole is greater than some of the parts. Yeah. Well, I'm very excited for you Thank and what you. you're going to do with We Are Liminal. I will turn this recorder off now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. If you've enjoyed this show, please leave a review wherever you found this podcast. It helps other people find us and to spread these ideas. If you end up testing any of the ideas shared in this show in your own organisation, please tell us about it at getintouchatthepioneers.co.uk. We love to hear your stories. Until next time, thank you for listening.